Hello and welcome to the Discover Money Podcast. My name is Will and with me is Ben and we are two average people who have no formal financial training but have a huge passion for learning all things money. Each week we'll explore a new financial topic in hopes of better educating ourselves and hopefully you on how to stretch your dollar and set yourself up for a brighter future. Now let's get this started. Welcome back, Discover Money listeners. Welcome to episode number eight. Ben, good morning. How's it going today? Well, it's uh, it's cold over here. Lots of ice hitting the windows and the threat of, of maybe an inch of snow down here in North Carolina, which uh, pretty much just uh, makes everything crazy in town. So uh, seeing what, what that winter weather is going to bring today. What about you? Yep. Nope. About the same. I know the grocery stores have been plundered, whatever the word is, not plundered. <laughs> <laughs> they are empty. I think whatever that word is. Um, but yeah, snow is definitely making things a little bit crazy in the Raleigh area, but we're hunkered down inside and we're going to be okay. Perfect day for podcasting, right? Absolutely. Perfect. All right, Ben. Well, last week we started our listener count update. So we have an update for this week. So Ben, if you had to guess, how many listeners do you think we added from last week to this week? Well, I think we said the goal last week was to get to double digits. So I'm going to, I think we were at eight. So maybe we got two and got to 10. Oof, man. The, the goal was to get to double digits. Unfortunately, Ben, we fell one short. We have added one listener since last week. So thank you to that one listener and welcome to the Discover Money family. But our streams have increased by 11. So we're now up to 55 listens to our Discover Money podcast. So we're seeing some some progress. But hopefully next week will be that magic week that we move on to those double-digit listeners. So we're just building brand loyalty, right? Like, Correct. Our, our, our listeners that are with us, thank you all, because uh, apparently you're listening to a lot of episodes. So uh, thank, you for, thank you for doing that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So today's episode, number eight, dollar cost to averaging. And I know you have a question to get us started, Ben. So I'm going to kind of kick it over to you to set the stage for today's episode. Yes, yeah, so the dollar cost averaging is, is all about timing. Right, it's all about when we decide to put money into our investments or into the market. So, our big question off the top today to get us started is Can investors gain an advantage by trying to time the market? Uh, so, that's our big question today. Will, I'll let you start. Um, do you think investors can gain some sort of advantage in higher returns by, by trying to time the market? Yeah. I mean, I say that the word can is always tough because, of course, you, you can. It, it's possible. But to be able to consistently, over time, time the market correctly, I think is extremely difficult, if not impossible. Um, I think that you put financial um, analysts right up there with weather forecasters, where it's like one of those jobs where you can be wrong 90% of the time and still still keep your job. Um, I think it's just, it's so hard to predict what's going to happen. So I think realistically, the ability to time the market is probably pretty limited for most people. I, I do think there's a few exceptions. 
I think if you're somebody who has a very specific area of competence, very specific industry knowledge, like for instance, you work in tech and you see that there's going to be some huge new tech boom over the next two or three years and you know the company that's going to kind of lead the charge, like maybe you're able to time the market that way because you have that area of competence, you have a skill set and knowledge base that the average person doesn't have. I think that's an area where timing the market may be possible. Um, But again, that's going to be limited. You're not going to do that broadly across the market. I think there's also specific opportunities where, I mean, clearly if there's a huge downturn, the expectation is the U.S. economy is always going to bounce back. So if you look at COVID, I know like we went down whatever it was, like 30, 40% within, gosh, two months, a month and a half. Like it was super quick. I think anyone can look at that and say, okay, realistically, at some point, that's going to come back. So having the ability to take advantage of that, I think that's a version of timing the market. But again, you have to be able to have that margin in your life. You have to have that opportunity fund available to be able to time that market and take advantage of it. So I think, yes, timing the market is possible. Very difficult. Um, And I think for the average investor, it probably will go awry most of the time because, I mean, the the odds are that you're going to invest at the very bottom of the market is is very limited. Like, for instance, Ben, if you look at your and my um, situation right now where you and I both kind of invested in a specific company, um, and I thought I was getting in at a great time. I think it was down, gosh, what what was it down, like 37% or something when I initially invested in it, and now it's down like 60-some percent, and all of a sudden I'm looking at it and I'm 45% down, and I was like, I was timing the market. But nope, it, I was completely wrong timed. And who knows, it may still come back and it may be a good story. But I mean, it's just the odds that you're going to time the market. I think it's generally luck opposed to actual skill. Yeah, I, I would agree in general. I think that, you know, everybody can get lucky. And, you know, we had a whole episode about can you beat the market? And, you know, we, we found out in that episode that the vast majority of people cannot, right? So, the idea of, of timing the market, um, you know, most investors are not going to be able to do that consistently and gain an advantage, right? Yeah. But as you said, I think it is possible to take advantage of some major trends. So, for instance, you know, the flash COVID crash that we had where, you know, stocks lost a ton of value, but we the, the economy was still relatively strong. Um, so in those, you know, big picture events... I think that's an opportunity where, you know, we can start to take advantage of potentially stocks or funds that have been, you know, really downtrodden for um, an, an overreaction to the downside. I, you know, I think for for the casual investor, the casual person um, that that is not into day trading, swing trading, all of those things, trying to time the market really is just an exercise in futility, and it's it's going to be difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And I would say probably a word of warning, if you are that person, it's kind of your first time, probably the worst thing that can happen to you is you get lucky the first time you try to time the market and you actually make money and you think it's that easy. And then you go in the next time and you put more money into trying to time the market and you completely lose your shirt. So yeah, I think that luck is probably the word, the word that I would use for it. And if, if it works out the first time, Definitely don't just assume it's always going to work out because nobody has that crystal ball to be able to see what's going to happen next. 
All right, so that is kind of our big question of the day, and that's what we're going to be talking about throughout today's episode is dollar cost averaging. What is it? What are the benefits? But to get us started, we kind of have our key term section. So you want to make sure everyone has a clear and thorough understanding of exactly what we're talking about when we talk about dollar cost averaging. So the first key term today that we have is dollar cost averaging, which if we're going to define dollar cost averaging, it's just an investment strategy in which an investor divides up the total amount that they're going to invest and then systematically invest it over a specific period of time. So for instance, if you have $1,000 that you're going to invest, opposed to putting the full $1,000 at one time, maybe you're going to spread it out over a four-month period, put $250 a month, every month over four months, and then you spread out that time of your investing, and that is a version of dollar cost averaging. And then on the flip side of that is you have something called lump sum investing, and that's the complete opposite. Basically, that's saying I'm going to put all of my investable money into the market at one time. So if you have that $1,000 bonus maybe you got during the holidays, instead of systematically investing that over a four-month period, you're just going to say, okay, I'm just going to put all $1,000 all at one time into the market. And that is what lump sum investing is. So kind of two spectrums of investing, two different um, strategies on the opposite sides, lump sum versus dollar cost averaging. Ben, anything you want to add to that? No, I think you hit those really well. Um, Again, it's just, it's all about timing, right? It's that decision if you want to put your money in initially um, and put all of it in as a lump sum, or if you want to to, um, spread it out over a period of time. And I think that for most people, um, dollar cost averaging also comes into play when you know you have monthly cash flow that you want to add to your investments, and naturally, dollar cost averaging can be an option for you because you have the same amount based on your cash flow coming in to put into investments. Um, so, and we'll talk a little bit more about kind of the pros and cons of that as we get into the episode. But the last term that we wanted to talk about is asset allocation. And you know when we talk about where we're putting our money into investments, ultimately we're, we're talking about asset allocation. So asset allocation is basically how you decide to put your portfolio together, right? So for instance, um, you know a lot of people may have some stocks in their portfolio and some bonds in their portfolio. And you may have a target asset allocation where you want your portfolio to be 75% in stocks and 25% in bonds. Or your asset allocation you know, may be single stocks or have gold in it or have cryptocurrency in it. But it's whatever that mix, that percentage mix of investments um, that you ideally want to have in your portfolio is asset allocation. And then as those different assets either do well or don't do well, your percentages are going to change, right? Because some of them are going to grow in value and some of them are going to shrink in value. And ideally they all grow in value, but they're going to grow at different rates. So that's where it can come into play when we continue to add money to our portfolio 
those assets that now are a smaller percentage in our, in our ideal asset allocation, we may start putting more money into those to get that percentage back to where we want it. Um, so asset allocation really is just a strategy of when you are putting money in, where are you putting it to ultimately have that, that ideal mix of the different stocks, bonds, crypto, gold, etc., that you want to have in, in your portfolio for the long term. So Ben, before we move on, because I'll be honest, my head spins when you talk about all of that. I mean, we're, we're in 2022 at this stage. Let me ask you, do you pay attention to asset allocation? So I do in some regards. Okay. And I actually think that it's probably the biggest, one of the biggest weaknesses I have in investing is that I don't pay more attention to it. There are some great apps out there now that will actually do this for you. Um, M1 Finance is one of those. Um, and in those apps, you can actually, you know, you can say, I want 20% of my investments to be in um, this index fund, and I want 20% to be in Apple, etc. And it will automate all of that for you. But I, I do think that asset allocation, unless you are somebody, you know, Will, my guess is it probably is not going to make as much difference to you um, in that your go-to is index funds, right? So if, if your goal is to just get as much money into the sing, a single index fund or, um, those, the, you know, it's all going to the same spot, then asset allocation probably isn't as big of a deal. But if you are trying to get a diversified portfolio where you have different types of assets that may, you may own for different reasons, having that allocated correctly is going to balance your risk, right? If you have 75% in gold and gold goes down, then we're going to have a, we're going to have a tough time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think finding whatever the allocation is for you is, is makes sense. And then just making sure that as time goes on, that you're maintaining that through your, what you're adding into your investment account. Yeah. Well, I think that the reason that I kind of ask that and the reason that I kind of point out, like we're in 2022, technology has kind of taken over. Like you talk about my investment strategy. I mean, yes, a large portion of my investment, the majority is in index funds, S&P 500 index funds, but there's also a large portion in target retirement date funds. So opposed to an individual investor having to go out and then diversify their own portfolio over all those different assets classes, what you can do instead is just go buy an index fund target retirement fund that's out there where it does all that for you, where all you have to do is decide what year do I want to retire, how much do I want to invest a month, and the target retirement fund does all of that rebalancing asset allocation for you. So for instance, if you're in a 2060 or 2065 fund, I'm, I'm not going to do math that quickly, but my assumption is in you're retiring in like 40, 40, 45 years, whatever that becomes, right? Then when you're younger, it's going to have a more high risk investment strategy, more equity based. But as you get older, it's slowly going to decrease that risk factor and transition those investments to lower risk assets. And it does all that for you. So I think that one of the challenges and one of the kind of key points that we decided to do this podcast, Ben, is historically people think investing is this really complicated thing. 
but technology has made it so much easier and there's so much knowledge out there and there's so many tools that does it for you. Like don't think that you have to go and figure out your asset allocation. Find a target retirement fund, find one that has a low expense ratio, find one that's invested in an index fund and let it do it for you. Figure out when you want to retire, figure out how much you want to invest, sit back, make the money, put your feet up and don't stress out. That, that's my philosophy on investing in general. And Ben, I know <laughs> I like to think you like to do it the hard way, but I think that you would completely say something different, but that's just my personal philosophy for all of you lazy people out there like me. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I think it's, it's great advice. And I think, especially for anyone that kind of, as you said, that does not want to um, get into the weeds of investing, right? Like that is absolutely a simple path and probably is the best path for a large percentage of people out there. But I think there are a lot of people that are getting into things like cryptocurrency um, or getting into things like NFTs and just all this kind of new age investing. And I think that's where the asset allocation piece could you know, really play a factor. And, and it may be as simple as I want to have X amount in crypto. Or bit, you know, or if you just do Bitcoin, I want to have X amount of Bitcoin, um, and you know, if I if I want to have five percent in Bitcoin, just making sure that as time goes on, that that we're keeping that same percentage, and we're not just continuing to put all all the investable cash into Bitcoin. You're absolutely right that for most people, those those retirement funds are great, and they will do a lot of this for you. There are limitations that those are just stocks and bonds for the most part. There's a lot more investing assets out there these days. So what I just heard you say is there's a lot of people out there that want to speculate in unproved strategies <laughs> to get rich quick. Um, and in my personal opinion is that is perfectly fine as long as it's done after the actual proven investment strategies out there. But that's where you and I differ and probably many of, many of our listeners, all nine of them differ. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. All right, well, let's move on. We're going to go to fact or fiction. So in this, this segment, I ask Will some, uh, some, I give Will some statements, and they'll be about dollar cost averaging. And Will has to decide if that statement is a fact or if that statement is fiction. Um, so, Will, you ready to go here? I am ready, and I appreciate you telling me the rules. Um, fact or fiction was a complicated game for me, so I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, number one, a 2012 study by Vanguard found that historically <clears throat> investing your money in a lump sum versus dollar cost averaging produced better results 33% of the time. Is that fact or fiction? So because I think that that was confusing, I think that let me reiterate what I heard, is lump sum investing produced a worst a worse result more often than dollar cost averaging. Is that what we're saying? I'm going to say yes. yes. Okay. I'm going to say false to that because everything that I know, if I'm accurate, is lump sum investing is typically produces better results than dollar cost averaging in most markets. So false. See, you said you understood the rules of the game <laughs> and now you say false instead of fiction. Oh gosh. Uh, okay. Fair. Come on now. Come on now. Making fun of the questions and then yep. not playing by the rules. Right. Let's see how it is. Uh, 
Well, yes, it is. It is fiction. Okay. Uh, because it's it's sixty six percent of the time. So as you said, as you were alluding to, lump sum investing in this study produced better results sixty six or two thirds of the time than dollar cost averaging. And we'll get into some of the reasons why here. Let's go to number two. So number two, according to Financial Samurai, the average daily percent change in the S&P 500 since 2006 is plus or minus 0.76%. So basically, on average, the S&P 500 fluctuates by about three quarters of a percent every day. Is that fact or fiction? Man, you're hitting me with the fastballs today, Ben. Big words. Um, it fluctuates three quarters of percent every day. The S and P 500. That's what we're asking. Yep. On average, I'm gonna say true. All that seems like a lot, but I'm gonna say true. Still, fact. Question. We didn't get. Thank you. <laughs> yes, it is a fact. <laughs> so, and that's really just to show that you know. Because timing the markets and what we're, you know, dollar cost averaging and lump sum and, and what we're talking about has to do with volatility in a lot of ways, right? It has to do with the market's going to go up and down and up and down and up and down. And the daily percentage change of, of three quarters of a percent, it, it may not sound like a lot when you hear, okay, it's, it's less than 1%. But that's actually a lot mm-hmm. of volatility. I agree. Right? Like you think about in a in a year, you know, what I think on average we learned that over the ninety-six years, uh, the S and P's I think what did it average? Like like, right around ten like percent, something like that. Or ten percent, sorry. Yeah, so ten percent. So, you know, if if the market's going up and down three quarters of a percent every day, you know, there there's hundreds of trading days in a year, right? So you know, eventually maybe it gets to ten percent, but it's going to do a lot of up and down uh, as as we go. Uh, so you know, I think as we talk about the pros and cons of dollar cost averaging and lump sum, uh, that's why it can make make a difference. Uh, it's because there's so much volatility out there. So, Will, why don't uh, let's get into dollar cost averaging a little bit more here? Do you want to talk us through kind of some of the pros and the cons of of dollar cost averaging? Yeah, so if we know that lump sum investing on average produces better results, why would you want a dollar cost average? Like what would be the benefit behind that? And I think there's quite a, quite a few pros uh, to take into a, to account. And I think the number one is the emotion aspect of it. When you dollar cost average, you completely take the emotion out of investing, especially when you automate it. And for most people, most people listening to this are probably dollar cost averaging to some degree. They just don't realize it. If you have a employer sponsored retirement plan and every month you put money in, your employer puts money in, that is dollar cost averaging. You don't think about it. It just goes in whether the market is high, whether the market is low. So you're getting that benefit of long term exposure to the market without having to worry about am I putting it in at the correct time? And I think that emotion is so, so important. So I think that's a huge pro on the side of dollar cost averaging. I will say with that, I think that that emotion, it can also be be determined on how much money you're investing at one time. For instance, if you're going to invest $1,000 at one time, 
I would probably argue dollar cost averaging probably isn't needed. Like just go ahead and put it in. If it goes down 50% and it goes down $500, it's probably not something you're going to lose sleep over with every night. But let's say on the flip side, you invest $100,000 and within two weeks, it goes down 50% and all of a sudden you're $50,000 in a hole. Think about how that might impact the emotions. So I think that looking at how much you're investing also play, plays a role into it. But I know for me, it just takes the emotion out of investing. So the emotion is number one. Number two is you get to take advantage of when the market drops. So if the market goes down 4 or 5% from the time that you invested in January to the time you invest in February, now you're taking advantage and you're investing at that lower price point. So as markets, if you're in a falling market, you actually get better returns when you're dollar cost averaging. Of course, on the flip side, if it's a rising market, it's the opposite effect, but you're getting, getting that advantage. And I think the last one of it is it just creates a habit. When you dollar cost average, hopefully it's just something that you have automated within your setup and you don't think about it. You don't have to make sure it happens if you only invest at the start of the year. If something in your life occurs and you don't get to it, then you might not invest at, at all, all that year. So really taking advantage of that habit forming behind dollar cost averaging, I think is super strong. Ben, anything you want to add to the pro side? I, I think those that consistent habits and that discipline process and automation is, is the key to me, right? Like, as you said, a lot of people are dollar cost averaging just because that's how their retirement uh, program works. But I, you know, I think for the, to me, the emotion and the, the risk of trying to time the market is the toughest part and, and the biggest con, the, excuse me, the biggest pro for dollar cost averaging. Because when you put in a lump sum and you see the market go down and you see the red in your portfolio, naturally, that makes you want to sell it, mm-hmm. right? Because it's going down. And that may be the worst thing you could do because as it goes right back up, then you you know you now kind of hit yourself on the head. Yeah, I think one thing I'll add on that too is I look at it as you always want to pay yourself first. So every month I'm going to pay myself first before I do anything else in life, and that's one of the kind of the thought processes I have with with dollar cost average. So pay yourself first. You're going to thank yourself later. Moving on to kind of the cons of dollar cost average, Ben. I'm going to kick it over to you for this one. Great. So dollar cost averaging on the pro side takes advantage of when the market goes down. Dollar cost averaging on the con side loses some of that potential upside when the market goes up and up and up, right? So as the market goes up, you're buying less shares with your same amount of money and it's raising your average purchase price than if you would have just done a lump sum at the beginning, right? So And that's the reason that the studies show that over time, lump sum investing performs better on average is because markets have a bias to the upside, right? Like we don't know tomorrow or next week or next year if the market is going to go up or down, right? We, We don't. But 30 years from now, there's a pretty good track record that the market is going to be significantly higher than where it is today. So there, there is a bias towards the upside in the market, which means that lump sum investing is going to outperform o- over the long run. 
um, in cases. Other cons of dollar cost averaging include you know, holding cash longer, right? So that's really the, the difference here is if you have $10,000, $100,000, a big sum of money, and you choose to dollar cost average over you know, a set amount each month for the year or however long a period of time, naturally that means that you are holding cash longer mm-hmm. on the side, waiting to put it in, right? And that, that has an opportunity cost to it. So that cash, because it's not being put into the market, right? And if the market has a bias towards the upside, there's time there where it is not growing for you. Uh, so that's the potential downside of, of the dollar cost averaging approach. One thing I'll add there too is there's a study out there. And I think you and I have both talked about it before. And we need to find this study. Maybe next week we'll kind of kick off with the study. But there's a study that shows that over a 30-year investment life cycle, if you miss like 10 trading days of being in the market – like I don't I don't remember the exact percentage, so don't quote me on this. But it's like you get like a fifty percent lower return on your investment over a thirty year period just by missing like ten trading days. That goes to your point of the market doesn't move linearly; it's up and down, and you have to be in the market to reap those rewards. And that's why we always say time in the market beats timing the market. So that's how powerful and how big that opportunity cost could be if you miss those 10 trading days. So I think our homework, Ben, is for next week is to find that article um, and kind of kick off the show and talk about it a little bit. Sounds great, Well, So there's two other quick uh, quick cons I wanted to hit. And these, these probably only apply to um, a certain percentage of folks, but just to get them out there is that dollar cost averaging, because you're keeping that cash on the sideline, it also has a potential uh, risk of losing out on poten- potential dividends that happen throughout the year. And I know that some people are big into dividend investing, so that is something to think about. And then the other one, and this one thankfully is not as big of an issue any longer because most brokerages are now going to free trading, right? But uh, I know back in the day, not too long ago, not so many years ago, you used to have to pay you know, $10, $8, $15, etc. to make a transaction. So in dollar cost averaging, you're making a transaction you know, every month or every whatever your period of time is. Uh, so those transaction fees would be higher than if you were going to do lump sum. Um, but that is something just to take into consideration because there are still a good amount of products out there that, that do have some transaction fees um, included with yeah. them. So just something to think about. Yeah. And I would say just a experience share for me, Ben, is I mean, before I knew anything about investing, I thought that was normal. And I had my retirement fund investing in an account that every month that I invested in it, there was a $50 load charge. $50 every time I invested in it. And then, pro- I mean, probably six months I was doing that until I finally asked a question, is that normal? And they're like, no, just switch it to this one. And you don't have that. So if your broker has a low charge, look for a different fund called a no load fund. So you're not paying those fees every time you invest. Cause I mean, that can be a substantial amount of your investable money. If your dollar cost averaging, and if there is a significant load for it each month. So, Will, we've talked about some of the pros and the cons of dollar cost averaging. So let's talk about, you know, what, what do we do? What do we do in our, in our personal accounts? 
Um, so you want to start? Yeah, I'll be happy to. And I'll be honest, Ben, this is kind of a tough question for me because I'm torn internally. Historically for me, I have always dollar cost average, whether it was my employer-sponsored retirement account or just my investing that I did through my Roth IRA or taxable accounts recently. But I've also realized that I've probably missed out on significant gains every year because I've been younger. So the whole time I've been investing, it's usually been positive years. So I look up and I'm like, man, the stock market had a 30% return that year, but I invested throughout every month and I didn't get anywhere near 30% return that year. So I'm kind of in a place where I understand that I'm privileged in this sense, but I have enough money that I could max out my wife's and my Roth IRA. Um, and my mind tells me I should just put all that in this month for this year, the full 12000 between the two, because historically, that's going to give me the best return. But then I also look up and see everything that's happening within the stock market, and it's that emotion piece. And I'm like, well, this might be the one year that it's a negative return, right? So I'm kind of caught in this crossroads where, yes, I did do a dollar-cost average strategy for the month of January. I put the full 600 um, in my account, my wife's account. And I'm kind of going back and forth. Do I dollar cost average the rest of the year or lump sum? Or maybe even a combination of two where I do two deposits, one in January, one in June, whatever it may be. Um, but I think that long term, my strategy moving forward is going to be lump sum investing every year, which is still a version of dollar cost averaging. Um, but since you can only contribute $6,000 a year to a Roth IRA, I mean, you can consider that lump sum in this sense. So I think for me, it's going to be a combination of both dollar cost averaging and lump sum. But knowing the data, I'll probably lean more in the lump sum and getting money in the market as quickly as possible. How about you? So for me, it's a little more complicated. Um, so I do have our, an employee retirement account through the state that that one is dollar cost averaged. As we've talked about, um, that's you know pretty standard for for employee retirement accounts. And then on the top of that, in my IRAs, we, so when I say it's a mix, I put the same amount of money in every month into my IRA and my wife's IRA. Um, But it's not dollar cost averaging because we don't buy the same things every month, right? So when that money goes into the account, at the beginning of each month, depending on what the market is doing, I make decisions on where those get allocated to. So that's kind of that asset allocation piece. So if a certain sector of the economy is down that month, I may look to put that money into stocks in that sector. Um, And vice versa, if something is really hot, I may not put something into that sector that month. Um, and instead looking for the, the assets that have a little more value to them at that current time. So what I heard you just say is you attempt to time the market in your long-term Roth IRA retirement fund. Is that correct? I would say to an extent, yes. Because I, I, do, think there, I do think I would consider the mix because I, you know, the money going in is the same every month, right? As opposed to a lump sum going in at the beginning of this of the year or a certain time in the year, and ultimately the the as the stocks that we choose within those funds, they're all big S and P, Nasdaq stocks. 
right? And if the market in general goes up, they're likely going to go up. So I think we are timing the market in that we are making some selective decisions as to where the allocation goes. But in general, I would say that um, we, we are still keeping some of those principles of, of the dollar cost averaging because the money is going in in, in same periods of time. I would say that is some great mental gymnastics to get to dollar cost averaging out of that. But we'll, we will roll with it. Different <laughs> philosophies. You know, there's, there's, one of us is just a little more nuanced. Fair enough. Say? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's what we do. I think when we, you know, if we ever get bonuses or do have a lump sum of money come in, um, in those cases, we would lump sum invest, uh, it, you know, the, those extra funds in at one time. But, but that's really what yeah. we do. And I think that for me, you know, as I've been thinking about this topic, and we kind of talked about it at the beginning, for me, I think what I want to work on in 2022 when it comes to this topic really is figuring out that, that asset allocation. Like how much percent do we want in certain areas of the market? And then being able, you know, as that, that money comes in every month, being able to allocate it um, to keep those percentages. The same. So let me ask this, Ben. Do you think there's a difference from, I'll just say like the safety aspect of dollar cost averaging into like a index fund versus dollar cost averaging into single stocks? Because like when I think about it, how, so it sounds like to me you're doing a lot of single stock dollar cost averaging. In, e- even if they're blue chip, it, do- it doesn't mean that they're safe, right? But how do you know when you're still investing into a company that's going to come back versus continue putting money into a company that's going to continue going down? Where historically, like we know, unless something majorly changes in the U.S. US economy, we know that the S&P, we know these index funds are going to trend always upward. But as we talked about last week, individual stocks, there's no guarantee on it. So how do you balance that risk? You're right. There is no guarantee. And I think, so I I think we balance that risk by the stocks that we choose. Again, are all big blue chip, big S and P NASDAQ, you know, it's Apple's, it's Microsoft's, it's JP Morgan's, it's, it's big stocks that have consistent track records. So they're, they're not, you know, Anything could happen, but they're not stocks that tomorrow are going to fall off the face of the earth. Um, so, you know, I think it, that's a big piece of it. Um, but there's definitely, I would definitely say there's more risk in, in buying single stocks. So there's no doubt about that. There's also more upside. So it's just how do you, how do you balance that, that risk and reward? And I think for me, uh, when, I, when I put money in, and I'm able to at least look at a set of stocks that, and most of them are stocks that we already own. It's just then deciding, do I want to buy more shares of this one this month or more shares of this one this, this month? So for instance, I, if I'm making the decision between, do I buy more Apple stock this month or do I buy more um, Coca-Cola stock this month? Well, if Apple stock is down this month, I'm probably going to choose that one because the consistent track record of Apple is that it's going to go up. So if it's down, I'm, I'm going to lower my average price in Apple by, by choosing that one. Uh, so I think that that's 
really where the decision is for me. Cool. I was just curious kind of how you think about that and how you go about it each month. And my assumption, when you say we, as you were earlier, it's not, it's not your wife making this, these decisions. It's probably typically you. Is that fair to say? That, that's fair. Yeah. Next time I see her, I'm going to tell her she needs to take a more active role in this. <laughs> I want to see her stock choices versus yours. That would actually be a really fun experiment. It would be. I, I mean, think. it's like that monkey experiment back in the day where it's like the monkey chose the stocks and they like outperform like X percent of like actual investors and traders. Kind of like a crapshoot a little bit. Or the or, or a dartboard. I mm. thought about that. Like put, you know, 30 stocks on a dartboard and throw darts at them on January 1st and put your money in those and see how that performs versus yep. the market. Fair enough. All right, Ben. So I think we've done a good job kind of talking about what dollar cost averaging is versus lump sum investing, which is better, which is not what what we're individually doing. But I think that we always go back to that initial theme of there's no wrong investment strategy as long as you're doing something, right? Like whether you're going to dollar cost average, whether you're going to lump sum investing, it's still better than just having money sitting in cash on the sidelines, So I think that you just have to look at what's best for your lifestyle. What can you handle emotionally? And then just pick a strategy, stay consistent with it, stay disciplined and move forward with it. You're going to look up in 30 years and whether you dollar cost average or lump sum invest, you're going to be happy with the results as long as you are doing it in stocks and bonds or um, investment strategies, equities, S&P 500 index funds that are proven track records. Um, You're going to look up and you're going to be happy with with what you chose. So whether it's dollar cost average or lump sum, we don't care. Just make sure you're doing something and stick with it. Ben, any other thoughts you want to kind of finish the show off with today? No, I think this is a good discussion and a hundred percent agree with what you just closed with that. The most important thing is your savings rate and how much you're putting in. I, you know, I think that that's definitely, you know, the key, the key takeaway from all of these episodes, but I, I thought it was a good episode. Um, I'm excited to, to figure out this, uh, this stat about the 10 best days in the stock market for next week. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners. Yep. We'll talk next week. Discover Money is out. 